as soon as Amazon put that request for proposals out, you had hundreds of cities tripping over themselves um, to do whatever they could to, to get the company to come there. Oh, yes, my lord. Can I have uh, a job center, please, my lord? Oh. <laughs> Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. So today we have uh, with us honored guest, uh, Pat Garofalo. Did I mispronounce that? No, Sorry. you nailed it. It's perfect. Oh, thank God. That, so That is a privilege because Ryan, he's not good at the pronunciations. He's, he's just... So this is good. It's a good auspicious start. Auspicious start. Awesome. Nailing it already. Yeah. <laughs> English isn't my uh, first language because um, I, <laughs> I, I have to actually learn it before I can say that. So Pat is the managing editor at um, Talk Poverty and author of a new book, which just came out. It's called Billionaire Boondoggle, How Our Corporations... Uh, sorry, how our politicians let corporations and bigwigs steal our money and jobs. So, uh, you know, I'm a s- very nuanced discussion of uh, of how, you know, billionaires aren't getting a fair shake, I, I presume. <laughs> um, and so, Pat, th- welcome and thanks for coming on. No, thanks so much for having me. It's like to be here. Um, I thought maybe you could start out, you know, so boondoggles fairly self-explanatory but maybe you could start out by uh the worst you know two or three stories that you you tell in the book you know there's a lot of uh specific recounting of things but either in there or recently um since it's come out whether there's some some big ones that you you didn't get a chance to write about because of book production uh takes forever and so on what do you think the worst billionaire boondoggles in the last, you know, however long you want to say? Yeah, I mean, the big obvious headline screaming one right now is Amazon's HQ2, right? You kind of can't talk about these things without talking about Amazon receiving several billion dollars from two different cities for no good reason at all. I appreciated your example uh, of um, the cities as barking seals that that he was making, right? That was a great, great uh, image. Yeah, that was a quote. Yeah, yeah. Jumping like trained seals, Um, which is totally true. I mean, as soon as Amazon put that request for proposals out, you had hundreds of cities tripping over themselves um, to do whatever they could to, to get the company to come there. Oh, yes, my lord. Can I have a job center, please, my lord? Oh, I, Thank you, sir. May I have another? Yeah. And look, and, and th- this illustrates what I'm talking about in the book so perfectly because after getting data on 100-something cities, whittling it down to 20, you know, picking over those and getting who knows what data from those in addition to what they got the first time around, where does Amazon go? They go to the nation's capital and the world capital of finance. So this was pretty much a sham the entire time. Right. Yeah. Um, the the interesting thing about that story is that, you know, you, you, I think you typically see these, you know, there are a lot of examples in the book of these impoverished communities are just like, oh, please, God, we just, you know, our tax base is collapsing. We just need somebody to come in here and start up a factory or whatever. But in this case, not only does Amazon not need the the, the subsidies, these cities don't need Amazon HQ either. You know, maybe it'd be some sort of marginal benefit, but it's not like they're Detroit or something hemorrhaging population and having like severe social crises. It's like New York City is just absolutely bursting at the seams with wealth. And, um, you know, it, it remarkable to see 
Uh, what did Cuomo say? He's going to change his name to Amazon Cuomo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the lack of dignity. It's not only that, it's that Amazon is going to be in these two places anyway, right? Like Amazon is going to be in Washington. Amazon is going to be in New York. There's no reason to pay for those those com- for that company to go to those places. It'd be like Houston paying oil companies to come. Like you don't have to do it. It's there already. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Wait, and, and Pat, I wonder if you could break down for us some of the illusions or myths about what's what people think are going on, what's being sold is what's going on in, in these things and what's actually happening. Because as you said, it was a sham that they would ever go to like, you know, Ohio or something. Uh, so, so, so what is the, why the pretense, you know, what, what, what's, what's, what do you think the, the purpose of the sham is, you know, if you could break down kind of the illusion versus the reality of, of what's going on. It's these things happen and not just with Amazon, this happens with tens of uh, billions of dollars in cities and states all across the country every single year. Um, And it's because the story sounds right. It sort of feels good, right? We're going to give this company a tax break and then they're going to come and they're going to set up shop and everything is going to be awesome. You're going to have jobs. You're going to get rich. Everything's going to be great. And that's sort of like at a gut level feels right, especially because we've spent the last, you know, 60 years in a political climate wherein business is everything and we must bow down to the CEOs on everything. And so like, that's a story that both parties have told. Um, and so that is the like kind of gut level reaction everyone has like, Oh yeah, perfect. Let's do that. <laughs> then you got guys like me, like riding into town being like, Oh, well, actually, if you look at the academic evidence and start talking about the substitution effect and wah, 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 right. Like it's much harder yeah. to tell the opposite story wherein this effect that you think happens literally doesn't happen at all. Right. Even if you get what you think you want. So so you pointed out Louisiana. This was a beautiful example. Like Louisiana did successfully have what, like 50 some films uh, shot in, in Louisiana that they wouldn't have had otherwise over, I don't know, a decade or whatever it was, maybe fewer years. And that's not the point. The point is that that didn't result in, uh, you know, a good investment with that tax money. Yeah, that was the the. Film subsidies are one of the worst things in the book, just because you can see by the very nature of movie productions, right, those jobs are transient. They can literally be anywhere. Um, And I think it's really telling now Louisiana is losing productions to Georgia. For a while, Louisiana was quite literally the film capital of the U.S., and there were more movies being made there than anywhere else, which is, you know, bonkers when you think about New York and California. Um, And then Georgia was like, we'll spend more money on it, and everyone went great and moved to Georgia. Um, I was actually living in... Baltimore when Maryland went big on this experiment. They spent a ton of money to get House of Cards and Veep to come. And then what happened? California rolled in and was like, hey, Veep producers, we'll give you $5 million to come back to California. And they were like, great, see you later. And that's yeah. it. With, and that's not just, that doesn't just happen with movie production. It's a kind of easy example of it because it's so transient. But that happens all the time. You end up just paying and paying more and more. You end up in this kind of economic competitive purgatory. Um, because if you don't keep subsidizing the thing, the thing leaves. Right. And that, that seems like almost the inverse of the problem with, I don't know, the Olympics or something where you have this huge cost for one event and then like you don't use those structures anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Although, you know, the Olympics are one where I can start feeling at least a little better. It used to be that cities went really all out to get this thing. And now it's like cities are competing to not get the Olympics. It's like, oh, please don't pick us. Whatever you do, do not come here. <laughs> They've wised yeah. up to that one. But it took, it would, took some complete catastrophes to get to that point, right? And, and maybe that's what has to happen with something like, at, like an Amazon or a Google or whoever. Um, and one interesting thing about 
the Amazon debacle to go back for a second, is they sort of shot themselves in the foot by being so like circusy and let's turn it into a show and a reality television spectacle. There was a story a couple of weeks ago about Google going around and really quietly getting about a billion dollars in tax breaks in various cities mm -hmm. through shell companies. And just no one knew it was happening. And all of a sudden, everyone woke up one day and went, oh, geez, we gave Google all this money. Who could have known? And that's much more typical of these sorts of deals, right? Amazon was sort of unique in that because Bezos decided to do it this way. Um, there was all this attention paid to it. Most of the time, these things fly totally under the radar. Yeah. So what I, you're saying, what, go ahead, Ryan, yeah. Oh, I just wanted to mention, I was in South Africa in 2010 during the World Cup, and they really turned themselves inside out to, to put on a good show. And I was there, and it was a great show, and they were really proud of like what happened. But even at the time, I was like, man, these things, nobody's going to be using these stadiums in two years. And that, sure enough, that's basically what happened with most of them. And there's a real kind of uh, hangover, I think you might call it, of you know, just basically wasted investment. Absolutely. And even getting, even using the stadiums again, doesn't necessarily mean that it was a good investment. Like the U.S., it was fine when we hosted in 94. It was the most attended tournament in history. Didn't really have to build stadiums because, you know, we had plenty of NFL stadiums around that could be used. Um, and those cities still lost money on the event. It was still like a total bummer for them. And, and here's what I'll say, because I have a slight pushback against the conflation of, say, the Olympics with just Amazon screwing people out of subsidy money, you know, for their own private gain, because there is something about, say, the Olympics that is akin to like a national park, something that's communal and supposedly benefits. So so as long as the cost of that is being borne by the wealthy, I'm fine with that, right? Like the same way that you could argue that a national park, well, those resources could, help, you know, go towards there's an opportunity cost, you could feed the hungry with that money. Well, there's still a good to be had that's held in common with the, the national parks, uh, as long as we understand who should be paying for what that's fine with me um but when it comes to just like giving billions of dollars or more to to the the, the wealthy and the corporations um and screwing people out of the opportunity cost of that investment you know that's just a different thing entirely to me right yeah absolutely on, on the sports one I, I guess it's i'm not so much against doing it i'm against the way it's talked about right we're told that hosting these things will make us rich right if we build a football stadium for this team we'll become rich if we host the olympics we'll become rich it's not true. If someone just came out and said, hey, you know what? We want to do this thing. It's going to cost some money. It'll be really fun. We'll build civic pride. Everyone in the city will like have a good time for a few weeks and we'll all feel really good about ourselves. Perfect. Fine. Let's debate it on the actual merits, right? And not create this fantasy where we can have this giant yeah. party and then at the end walk out with our pockets full of dollar bills, right? That's never going to happen. And this, yeah. I think we'll talk about solutions later, but this, <clears throat> this I think, you know, good opportunity to shoehorn in uh, one of my um, you know pet theories which is that number one cities should just straight up own the sports teams that that are there like the Green Bay Packers you should have a collective ownership of this thing which is a symbol of the identity and like rallying point for the community and so on it's like yeah and the Green Bay Packers punch are better managed than than practically any football team and punch ridiculously above their weight given how small the media market is for the Packers. Um, and secondly, with the Olympics and the World Cup, I think you should just hold them in the same place every time <laughs> instead of building a new sports complex every four years in a different country. It should be Greece should have Summer Olympics. Brazil should have the World Cup. 
uh, I don't know where you put the put the Winter Olympics, maybe uh, Norway or something, but you know where it's will still be snowy and. But like, <laughs> it seems like I would make a lot more sense than just going around. Absolutely, I would. Out. I would nominate like a Vancouver maybe for the to, yeah, to permanently yeah. host the Winter Winter Olympics. Um, yeah, and everybody just chips in. We build this thing once, right? And everyone chips in to to for the upkeep. And hey, we don't have to have this you know auction every four years. Um, maybe just changing gears slightly. You know, you 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 talk about you you mentioned the the economic like aspects of this and how it's basically a, a, a false it's a bullshit like story they're telling can you dig in a little bit more into the 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 the, the falsity of the the economic you know uh, rationale and how it fails to pan out in the way that you know the the, the corporate lickspittles think that it's going to work with these tax breaks and so on absolutely so yeah the the top line is that basically every you know, fair-minded economist who has looked into this has found that spending tax monies to seduce corporations into your city has quite literally no effect on your local economy. It doesn't increase incomes. It doesn't increase job creation. It doesn't do much of anything. And that makes sense once you start to sort of peel back what's really happening. When a company moves from point A to point B, um, inevitably some of those workers are just going to have to move with the thing, right? Like you're not everybody who had the job in California that's now moved to Illinois. Some of those people are going to have to pick up and move to Illinois. You're not employing 100% unemployed Illinois residents. There's just no way that's going to happen. Um, and some percentage of the money that, excuse me, um, gets spent on whatever the, the thing in question is, is going to wind up leaking back to corporate headquarters. So say you open an Amazon warehouse in a place, um, some of that money that, that that facility makes is going to wind up back in Seattle. It's not going to wind up in your local community. Um, and then like the Amazon moving to New York City, which is totally in its interest example, um, you often just end up paying companies to do what they would have done anyway. So this is just a windfall. An example that I go through that I think was really telling was Toyota consolidated three offices into uh, the Dallas suburbs, received $40 million for doing so. And then after they had pocketed the money said, hey, you know what? This made perfect sense for business reasons. There was there were supply chain reasons and quality of life reasons for us to be in Dallas. And we didn't really need that money, but hey, thanks a lot. Um, and so that just happens over and over and over again. When you're talking about the more entertainment-y things, the things like a sports stadium or something like the Olympics, um, what folks often fail to account for is that those things drive as many people away as they do bring them in. So say you live in a city and there's a bar that you really like and it's next to the hockey arena, you know not to go there when there's a hockey game, right? Like I live in DC, I know to stay away from Capital One Arena when the Caps are playing yeah. because, you know, it's, it, there are going to be a lot of people there. And so that effect, it doesn't get taken into account. The way we talk about these things is as if a team that doesn't have an NFL stadium, everybody in that city just, you know, sits at home sadly watching Netflix going, oh, you know, I really wish we had an NFL team for me to go to and spend some money. Like that doesn't happen, right? People go and do stuff. Um, and so that substitution effect where we just don't account for people living their actual lives in the absence of the thing never makes it into the, the, the estimates that the boosters throw around when we're talking about these things. Now, Pat, I, I have a couple different theories about why. So, so when I'm thinking about the politicians that support these things, I've got a couple different theories and I want you to, to tell me what you think in your experience and your investigation seems to be the most prevalent reason uh, as best as you can tell for why 
um, these politicians support these things. So there's the obvious, like they're corrupt, right? There's the obvious, they know that it doesn't work and they don't care because they're, they're bought, they're, they're in, you know, in league with the donor class and totally just paid for. That's one thing. Okay. Two, they just don't understand economics or capitalism and how it works, right? They, 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 they either weren't presented with or have no knowledge of all the, the studies that you've read. Or three, something else, which is about their re-election hinges on the appearance of boosting the economy more than the actual economy being boosted. And they know that it looks good that you have now made 50 new films in Louisiana in 10, right? Like, so, so it seems like it's working and, and our representative democracy is not about the actual success, but the appearance of success. And so that's what they're thinking about. Which, which of those three or what combination of those three do, do you find? So it's really all of the above, right? Um, let's let's now just go in order. On the first one, yes, there is a at least correlation between corporate tax incentives and politicians winding up in jail, like just straight up. If your state gave out more more tax breaks, you had more politicians wind up in prison. Um, so that's certainly part of it, and that makes sense, right? These are, if not industry specific things, these are t- completely firm specific. If it's not a tax break for manufacturing, it's a tax break for literally Foxconn. Um, so you can see how that would kind of just inevitably breed corruption, right? Um, two, yeah, there's a certain level of you know state lawmakers and local lawmakers getting bamboozled by lobbyists and getting you know faux economic studies shoved in their face and see, look, the multiplier effect on this is $9. Every $1 <laughs> that you spend on an NFL stadium will circulate nine more times. See, it's math. <laughs> Um, there's some of that going on. Um, but then on your third point, the sad truth is these things do work. Um, lawmakers who hand out more corporate subsidies get reelected at higher rates Mm -hmm. than those who don't. Um, because the stuff that goes along with them, the press release, the ribbon cutting, ribbon cutting, winding up on the front page of the paper, right? The local, whatever gazette, that's all worth something to a, especially when you're talking about really like hyper local races, when you're talking about a, you know, mayor's race, you know, Hey, look, we did this thing at the factory. Um, So it's really all of the above, but there is a just straight up, you know, correlation between pursuing these deals, not even winning them necessarily, but pursuing them and winning your office again. Isn't that interesting? So there doesn't even have to be explicit corruption. There doesn't have to be any of that at all for politicians to be incentivized to put on the charade and be in cahoots, really. Yeah, yeah. The incentives on this are completely wrong. Actually, we had a I was talking to someone the other day who was joking that really the optimal thing to do politically is to pursue these deals and then and then not win them. Just like always be in second place because because then you don't actually have to pay for the thing, but you get all the cred for for going out and at least trying. That's amazing. Like always, wow. always come in just a little bit under the winning. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I I have a <clears throat> maybe you could speak about the the sort of the other side of the of the equation. So there's the the politicians and how they you know are 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 crooked or they've been swindled ideologically or some. But how do the businesses go about selling this type or coercing? Um, communities into taking this this these you know forking over these kind of bribes um you know they've they've become super savvy there's a whole industry i mean it doesn't have to be the way that amazon did it which was this whole you know pr campaign but they'll go into a community and they'll join the chamber of commerce and they'll start talking people up and saying hey you know we we're going to bring a factory here it's going to be great and 
they prey off the economic desperation in places, right? In these kind of smaller cities and smaller towns where the manufacturing plant is gone and Main Street is empty and, you know, Walmart is the only job in town. You can see why even people who kind of fundamentally understand why this is a bad deal would still go for it out of complete desperation because, hey, these like 25 jobs are at least something, right? That's 25 more than we had yesterday. And even if it costs us $500,000 a job and our sewers disintegrate and our, we can't fix a pothole for the next 12 years, eh, we might as well do it because there's literally nothing else coming. Um, and so the, the companies have just gotten very good at playing that game. And also this is one of those situations, right, where the opposition is really diffuse. It's like there are a bunch of good government types and people who care about, you know, healthcare, the healthcare system or infrastructure all sort of being like, hey, we should probably all get together and like fight Amazon. And on the other side, it's freaking Amazon, right? So the, 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 there's a very concentrated power on one side and a very diffuse set of interests all being like, but I want my thing to get more money instead on the other. And that, that's just always going to go for the, for the you know, 10,000 pound gorilla in the room. Yeah. And you have, I mean, you talked about the competition where part of the problem is you might win. I mean, it's not really a problem in the sense that it's probably not a good investment anyway, but even if you get those temporary jobs in Baltimore for the, the film, they're going to go to California in a couple of years. And so, uh, you know, that the comp, but then there's this, this mentality of competition, like, Oh, we have to outbid and we have to beat them and we have to keep them here. Uh, which kind of feeds that illusion that it's worth doing because other people want it. Right. And so like, it surely must be good for us because there's like the idea of competition is that you're competing over something that's desirable. Right. So, so, so it's like a mass delusion going on here. Right. I mean, one of my one of my favorite and by favorite, I mean, most horrifying examples from the book is what's known as the border war, which is in Kansas City, which straddles the border of Missouri and Kansas. And the two states were literally paying companies to just shift back and forth across the <laughs> state line. And the companies would do this multiple times. And everybody at some level must have realized how absurd this was. But when Missouri proposed a truce and was like, really, guys, we can't do this anymore, it took Kansas literally two years to respond. Um, so there's just something about doing this that, that has, you know, the, the, in this case, it was Sam Brownback, so we could get into that. But had these folks tripping over themselves to do this quite patently absurd thing that should have been absurd to everybody. I have this image of like a Casanova who keeps sleeping with women and then cheating on them. And like each relationship is very unfulfilling, but they're all jealous lovers of the fact that he sleep, right? Like I have this image that like, but there's a rom-com in here where the the women or whomever, you know, don't want to gender it all realize that this is a bad deal for everyone. And they should just all hate the guy that's doing this to them, you know? (laughs) And the problem here though, is that like, there is a first mover advantage, right? Like when Louisiana went big on this for a little while there, they got the benefit. It was like, oh, hey, all these movie people suddenly moved to Louisiana and had jobs. The problem is that it's not sustainable. It's that you always get, you know, there's always a situation like any, uh, a way to take a state hostage. There's always a way to move this stuff. And so you just end up paying more and more and more. But in the short term, you can see something, right? And and, and right, that gets back to what we were right, talking right. about before in this in this economically desperate town. You see the factory immediately. You don't see the fact that your, your roads collapsed until 15 years later, right? Yeah, and you talk about this in the, in, the, in the book about how whether it's the people or the politicians, there's a sense of like the anecdote being the basis for decision, right? Anecdotally, it seems great. And, and they just go off of that instead of the actual studies that show whether the investment is smart. Yeah, I mean, I, there's there's one guy I quote in the book, Dennis Coates, who's a sports economist, and he, he fights this all the time. It's like, hey, we had a football team come to, down, come to town, and now the bars and restaurants are packed. See, it works. 
Um, and it's like, well, people still go to bars and restaurants when there's no football team, right? <laughs> um, we we have this this debate in D.C. where I live all the time because we paid as a city $750 million for the ballpark that the Nationals play in. And the neighborhood around the ballpark is like, it's nice. And there's like a brewery and a winery and chain <laughs> coffee shops and all this stuff now. And so everyone goes, see, it was worth it um, without grappling with the fact that several other DC neighborhoods have boomed in the exact same way without a baseball stadium. <laughs> um, but they point to this one example and say, see, there's a brewery next to the ballpark now. So it was obviously worth it. Um, and that just, that just happens all the time because you have to fight those sorts of stories. And also you have to fight oftentimes local media who want to point these things out as a success, right? They want to say, hey, look, this thing worked, or they get bamboozled by, you know, the city council or the ballpark president or whatever. I mean, that's what happened in, in Baltimore. Kevin Spacey, pre-scandal, was out there being like, this is great for you. This is awesome. You know, you should obviously keep paying for House of Cards to be here. Um, and that sort of stuff works. Yeah, the the media... Um you know, it's like film stars. The, the 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 their their cultural strength is far out of proportion to actual economic, you know, power. And that's like a particularly something prone to abuse, where you can have Kevin Spacey pre-scandal out there, you know, talking talking to like you know penny ante local politicians, being like, "Hey, I'm Kevin Spacey. Keep giving us money, or else." Yeah, and there's always that explicit or else, right? At the same time, Spacey is out there like <laughs> sh like schmoozing and doing his thing. The production company sent a sent a letter to the governor, being like, "We're delaying production until we get our money. Shame if anything were to happen to those jobs you have." <laughs> oh man, um, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say this is so indicative. This is really emblematic of the overall problem between. Um, you know, the relationship between capitalism and democracy, uh, insofar as like there, there's this charade, um, that lulls the, the people of this country into trusting business, trusting the politicians who then trust business. And this is true. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. Did you find any difference between blue states, red states, or politicians that were Democrat or Republican? I kind of assume or would guess that there's not much difference, actually. You are, you're absolutely right. There's, yeah, there's essentially none. The two biggest states on this are, are New York and Louisiana. Yeah. I mean, so so often, right, our like national political issues sort of break down once you start getting to the, the city and state level. And no, this is very much a political elites versus pointy headed econ wonks thing, not a not a red, blue, left, right thing. Yeah. So so and Ryan, I know you wanted to get to kind of possible solutions. And, and I don't know if this is when you want to transition to that, but it just seems to me that this is the fundamental question over who trusts whom about decision-making with respect to massive amounts of money and resources and allocating those things, right? There is this kind of strange belief in the magic of like the market and the genius of, of like, whether it's Steve Jobs or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, it's like, oh, I want to get in on that genius action that Bezos, like as if the billionaires got their money through their brilliance instead of an arrangement with the state that is complicit in extracting resources from the people, right? Yeah, but I mean, we've been told that for how many decades, right? Like there's been a, yeah. that, that didn't happen by accident. There was a concerted effort to that's right, that's convince right. the public that all you have to do is rain money down on high on on the titans of industry and everything is going to be great for you, right? Like that's that's supply side economics. That's trickle down. That's all that stuff um, fits, fits into that mold. 
Um, it's so the, ingrained, and, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, I think, you know, a, a good, a good. One of the things that 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 is sort of jumped out at me in internalizing this, like, thinking here, is you know, you talk about like there are situations in which the, uh, companies are successfully persuaded or bribed to move from one place to another, but most of the time it doesn't actually change the decision. Um, you know, there's, I, there's a study in here, uh, from, uh, a fellow named Bartik that, uh, it only changes the decision between two and 25% of the time. And, you know, the more, the more I think about it, the more, um, it makes sense that if you're a businessman, what you want is to get a big bribe to do the thing that you're going to do anyway. Anyway, this is perfect. It's like, I'll play this, this, I'm threatened to leave here, but I don't actually want to leave here because it's got the nice freight rail, the nice labor force that I need and all the other amenities or whatever. And at the end of the day, you're just boosting the profit margin for literally no point at all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I, I think that was perfectly applicable to Amazon. If it was all about the money for Amazon, they wouldn't have gone to D.C. and New York. They had better offers from New Jersey and Maryland. Um, but there were good strategic reasons for them to be in Northern Virginia. They just got a giant Pentagon contract. So, hey, that's a good place to be. Um, and in the world capital of finance. I, I think this gets back to sort of just a bigger picture about how we have been told, mostly by conservatives, that taxes are sort of the be-all, end-all of economic decision-making, right? That we all move through our world, business leaders and people alike, calculating our tax rate at every step. Like, oh, if I if I make this right instead of this left, what's that going to do to my marginal tax rate? Mm, that's how I'll decide how, how I live my life, <laughs> which is complete nonsense. But, th- but that is that is the view, right? That every, every job everybody takes, they sit down and calculate perfectly what their tax rate for the year is going to be and make all their economic decisions based on that. Um, And it's nonsense, but that's the sort of like, that's the frame and the field that we're always fighting in, that taxes are the be all end all of economic decision making. When like, go back to the the, uh, Toyota example I used before, it had basically nothing to do with it, but Toyota was perfectly happy to take the $40 million from Texas to do the thing it was going to do anyway. It's lovely. That's that's sound business strategy. Um, I could teach a (laughs) MBA class about that. Um, Yeah, well... Go ahead. You make that point, Pat, about don't blame the companies. They're doing the rational thing to maximize their profit, right? Blame the system and change the system. And as you say, taxes aren't charity, right? But we as a democracy or democratic republic could not allow this, right? Like that's the thing that's so crazy. The thing that's so crazy is that we choose to do this to ourselves, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, And I mean, that's why, honestly, I find the Amazon example a little encouraging because it was one of the first times where there was a ton of attention paid to a deal and everyone actually did go wait why are we doing this again this makes no sense whatsoever and actually stopped it um and those examples are are pretty few and far between i point to um, boston saying absolutely no to the olympics Um, i point to anaheim's city council flipping in 2016 after the city had given a ton of money to disney something like one-third of their city budget was for years going to literally just supporting disneyland um, which is yeah off the charts bananas um (laughs) Those examples are few and far between, but I'm really hopeful that 
Amazon, and actually also Foxconn's, considering that deal arguably cost Scott Walker his reelection, um, can at least start to change the narrative a little bit. Um, I think in many ways, having a sort of deal maker in chief um, who obviously can't make any deals is is actually helping on this issue because people are realizing that this stuff is nonsense and ridiculous. It's not just um, Foxconn for Trump, it was Carrier too. And people are starting to see that these things can break down. And so I actually think that attention is in many ways helpful. That's hopeful. Wait, can you tell the the audience, because people might not know about Scott Walker and Foxconn, can you, can you talk about that a, a bit more? Yeah, so Foxconn yeah. Is, a, is a manufacturer, got a ton of money to move to uh, Wisconsin saying it was going to open a new factory and create 13,000 jobs. There was a big you know, giant ceremony and Trump went out and touted the deal and Scott Walker was like, this is the greatest thing for Wisconsin ever. Elect me to my like, 27th term or however long he's been there. Um, <laughs> and then it was you know, six, eight months later, Foxconn came back and went, actually, you know what? We're not going to create 13,000 jobs. It's going to be more like a thousand and they're not going to be manufacturing. They're going to be white collar. And we were kidding about this whole thing the whole time. Um, and that happened right before the election. And then again, arguably helped helped Walker lose because people realized that the whole thing was a sham and it was just a lot of fluff around a deal for a deal worth nothing. Um, so that was, yeah, one of the very few recent hopeful examples. Um, one, <clears throat> maybe before we start talking about like rolling this back, um, there another aspect of this I'm interested in is is how this changes the state the the f- government financing structure um there's in uh Ferguson I believe I can't remember which one it is but I believe there is a Fortune 500 company that is located there big company and they basically are completely exempt from taxation through you know uh, deals just like this and you know low corporate tax rates in general um, but you know, you still have to finance the government. And one of the, um, you know, perverse effects of that was, uh, going from a law enforcement model, you know, based on, you know, you may, you might say ideally, maybe it's probably not exactly like this, but just like trying to enforce the law to one based on fundraising from poor people through fees and fines, and this is why, you know, there are all these stories after the Ferguson, um, you know, crisis thing that happened uh, about how they were just jacking up. Like the police were basically this this sort of gang that was just jacking up poor black people on a daily basis for bullshit traffic tickets and stuff. And basically just financing the entire police department and a non-trivial fraction of the, you know, court system through extracting money from, you know, impoverished black working working class and poor people. And, you know, I I haven't seen this systematically, but I'm curious if you you know, if, if, if you've seen sort of evidence of that in general about how basically coring out your own tax base leads to that sort of extractive, um, uh, you know, police process. Yeah, it certainly makes sense, right? Like, if states aren't going to tax corporate states and cities aren't going to tax corporations, income taxes at the you know state level are already pretty low, so that's not a huge driver of revenue. What are you going to rely on? You're going to rely on 
sales taxes, you're going to rely on fees, you're going to rely on stuff that affects low-income folks. I don't know about the exact connection to law enforcement, but that certainly at a kind of theoretical level makes perfect sense because you, know, you have to get money somewhere. Um, and if you can't take it from <laughs> the businesses or from whatever rich folks you have, and, and, and oftentimes in these places, right, there aren't very many rich folks. Um, so even, even an income tax hike is not going to help a ton in the middle of, you know, Kansas. Um, so yeah, so that makes perfect sense that that's, that that's what would happen. Um, but I think probably if you like went through and systematically looked at it, you'd, you'd find a much higher reliance on sales taxes, which are super regressive, but are a kind of quick, easy way for states to raise money. Um, great. Well, maybe that's a good point to, to switch to, you know, solutions. How can you, how can you, you know, stop people from, you know, make the, I would say necessarily nationwide changes to quit this kind of beggar thy neighbor, um, you know, self-defeating nonsense. Yeah, I think necessarily nationwide is the the right phrase there. Um, you could, in theory, have Congress step in tomorrow and knock this whole thing off, right? You could see a really quick, easy bill that says all city and state level corporate taxes, corporate tax incentives are going to be considered taxable income taxed at 115%, right? Like done, boom, Godzilla stomp, forget it, it's over. I, I like that. Let's just do that. That sounds good. Do you know a, do you know a guy? We could just talk to somebody and get that done. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I'll just walk down the street to the hill. I'm sure they'll be really receptive. It's going to go perfectly <laughs> fine. Um, sure. <laughs> so that's the elegant solution, right? That's probably not going to happen this week or next. Um, there's been a lot of talk post-Amazon about multi-state compacts, like a few states getting together, particularly where they do have metro areas that cross borders and saying they're not going to do that. I guess that's worth a shot. It's been tried before in the past. There was a sort of high-profile one in the in the tri-state area, New Jersey, um, Pennsylvania, New York. All that takes is one governor or one you know state deciding to be a jerk and the whole thing breaks down. So I don't put a ton of stock in those sorts of deals, but that is another possibility. Honestly, my like sad assessment of this whole thing is that you really sort of have to just kind of like Amazon, like New York did to Amazon, you have to fight these things one by one until we get to a point where there is appetite for a national solution. Um, and, and like I said, I think, I think Trump is helping that. I think that's been accelerated um, in the last six months. I'm way more optimistic now than when I started writing the book in 2016. Um, but yeah, until until the day wherein Congress can come in and tell it's like fifty annoying kids to to knock it off, um, I think that's that's really the only answer. What What do you think a lefty enough Democratic president? So, so I'm thinking Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, something like that. What What might the the, the vision and agenda of a president like that, uh, given? let's assume the actual ability to pass something in, in Congress. Um, so the filibuster is gone. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's right. No, I think that's right. I think that's an important thing that Bernie needs to get on board with that quick, but uh, Elizabeth Warren already understands. Uh, we got to get rid of the filibuster, but, but like, is there hope in, in the, the right candidate taking office? Um, what, you know, could you see a path there? I really wonder, just because there's such a, this is so ingrained, like, I think there just have to be a ton of sort of fighting the narrative um, and, and trying to change minds on this. And I just don't know that even getting, like we said, this is not really a, a partisan issue, like trying to get your 
even assuming the filibuster is gone, trying to get that 51st vote, right? Like that's not going to be the left mo- leftmost member of the caucus. Um, right, right. So trying to scrape up a Democrat from one of these states that does this stuff all the time, I think is going to be pretty difficult. Um, yeah. But again, just hopefully, you know, it, it's it's sad to root for these deals to fail, right? Like, like it would be great for those 13,000 people if Foxconn really did come and give them jobs. Like, that would be excellent. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad you said that, though, because you talk about this. It is true, right, that, like, if you shut down a business that those people – like, when we talk about, say, single payer, of course that means that all these private companies that have to do with private health insurance, all those people are fired, right? Like, their jobs are, are not fired, but, like, they lose their jobs. They're displaced, and of course, there are other jobs that get created, but not for those people necessarily. Um, but this is so. So this is something I come into to contact with a, a lot theoretically uh, when there are leftist proposals. It's like, look what that would do to X, Y, and Z people in these pervert private firms. Except, of course, like people are subject to dramatic change within capitalism anyway, and there's all kinds of job losses and bankruptcies and and problems that that like give shocks to this. So so like that's already happening. And it's just a question of what do we do collectively about these changes? And then are the resources that we provide for those that lose those jobs that they can, you know, then be supported right after. Right. Yeah. You definitely have to bolster this whole thing with way more of a, of a safety net than we have right now. And, and, and that's a problem talking about these deals. Like I, I write it in the book. I taught, heard about it with the people I was interviewing. Like if we end this program, I lose my job and it's this job put my kids through college. And it's like, yeah, and that sucks. Um, but we can't, we can't make national policy based on your kid's tuition. And that's like kind of sad to say out loud, but, but it's true. And, and hopefully this shift would come with, right. A commitment to doing things the right way, having cities and States compete on things like, Hey, we have the best schools. Hey, we have the best infrastructure. Our quality of life is the best. You can raise a family here without, you know, spending your entire paycheck on childcare. Those are the things we want cities to be fighting for. Like it should be, it should be like your company wants to come here and we're going to host you and you, you should be privileged to be here because our community is so great. Like that's what we want the competition to be like, not, not, you know, licking boots and saying, oh, please, please, please come here. But like, you want to come here and yes, we will deign to have you. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) You could even say, you know, from a sort of like business perspective, if you're just focused on productivity and, you know, just doing the best business stuff in terms of selling, you know, making selling products and services that, you know, the, the, that those decisions should shouldn't be made based on political considerations on who's going to give you the biggest bribe, you know, like they, they, you could end up, uh, you could end up in a subpar place, you know, and you could just, just remove this type of thing from consideration and allow, you know, say that business enterprises should be conducted on business like grounds. If you're going to have those in, in the, you know, in the economy, um, it, I think, maybe gets to uh, a, a, a separate, maybe kind of like democratic uh, v- norms type of reasoning and something which which I think it doesn't come up so much in the debate about this type of stuff. But you're looking at Wisconsin. I mean, didn't they, they gave Foxconn like their own private legal system? Is that correct? They were... I, I believe that they they had like privileged access to to their own sort of rigged 
um, legal system, which would make it much harder to prosecute them for, you know, uh, uh, workplace um, safety violations and so on. And the, you know, the, the implication of this is it's also, you know, it doesn't work. It's it's unfair. It's like bullshit in so many ways, but it's also like a kind of corporate government, you know, you're coring out the sovereignty of these political communities, which are supposed to be democracies, which are supposed to like, like consent is supposed to come from the the, the governed people to, to get to sort of have a voice in the decisions. And instead it's like rich people, you know, usually from out of state or completely outside the country, just dictating right. to you what's going to happen. And that the, the, I think that that kind of the outrage of that, the, the idea that, that you're, you're selling out, democracy to do this type of to be amazon cuomo that kind of hasn't percolated through yet i don't think but i i reckon it's a powerful critique yeah i think that's right i mean you saw with amazon the number of cities that said that they would give the company a heads up about any foia requests um so anything that was foia they would they would basically get first notice and be able to come out of the gate and fight it before the the actual person who filed the foia knew what was happening um so yeah i think that's a really good point but you can see how these places kind of do turn into for lack of a better term company towns right a city spends all its money on bringing a manufacturer there if the manufacturer were to leave it would really be awful for everyone and then they have nothing so you can see how they then have no choice but to kowtow to whatever that business wants even if it does mean hey spending our entire budget on them and never building another playground so this is interesting because this reminds me of how little people realize the interconnectedness of different policy proposals so if we had like a universal basic income if we had let's say a job guarantee if we had a better social safety net if we had universal health care all these things would be bulwarks against the power over these corporations to dictate to people these things because they wouldn't have such leverage over people's lives in that way, right? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you could, you know, the company threatens to leave and you go, yeah, fine. Stuff it. It's yeah, exactly. nice walk. We don't need you anyway. Yeah. Cool. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> and that to me seems the fundamental thing, right? When you think democratically about, you know, how we choose to live and allocate our resources. I mean, Ira Katznelson is a, a brilliant professor who talked about corporations uh, as basically authoritarian private governments. And I thought that was a brilliant way of, of thinking of it, right? Because they do have, I mean, Apple is a trillion dollar company, right? Like, the, 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 you know, they have so much power and wealth and they are completely authoritarian. They get to, they, they don't have any democratic like control except through the laws of the States. So, so we're contending with these authoritarian private governments and we just need to like get our sovereignty back and, and use markets for our democratic purposes. Right. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> um, Maybe changing gears a little bit. One, you know, reading reading through this, one um, a potential sort of conservative response to this that occurred to me would be to think about, you know, like like uh, compare this to industrial policy, like um, you know, Green New Deal has been being talked about a lot, or you know, various redevelopment schemes to sort of as the original New Deal did, try to sort of push enterprise out into the hinterlands, um, you know, and, and 
bring the South back up to the the standard of the rest of the country. That was a major objective there. Um, what would you could you do like respond at like what's the difference between these types of tax grabs and versus saying like okay we the state want to directly build up like a solar industry in in the country and like we want to you know pr- probably some subsidies be involved with that or like direct market structuring and so on what's the difference there yeah absolutely so yeah one thing that i guess get asked all the time is like oh so you're just against using the tax code for anything at all whatever huh um and no the <laughs> The when you should use subsidies is when you are trying to do something that is in, I'd argue, the national interest most of the time, and when you can eventually remove the supports, right? So say we want alternative energy. Yeah, it makes perfect sense to support those sort of things until they are viable, and then say, hey, all right, you know, you're on your own, because there are there are multiple reasons to do that that have nothing to do with just employing the people in the place, right? The problem with so many of these deals is it's just about a desperate grab for short-term jobs and like damn the long-term consequences. Um, whereas something like a Green New Deal or just industrial policy in general is much broader and wider thinking and we're trying to accomplish several things at once, not just desperately you know, employ the unemployed people in our town for a few weeks. Now that's a brilliant point. I mean, so so... Uh, it didn't even occur to me. It's such a simple, straightforward point. But so many of these places are obviously desperate for just any job for people that need the access to a job. And that's the end of the story. It doesn't matter what the job is. It doesn't matter what the job does to our, our common uh, polis and our common good, right? It doesn't matter if it's, you know, harming the environment. It's just people need to eat. And to eat, they need the wage from the job, right? But like, just the job guarantee alone, just the idea that if anyone wants a job, they could have one with a livable wage. That alone would totally destroy that problem. Like, right? That would totally remove. And, and, and another thing, another point to make on that, I think, is that with something like the Green New Deal, right, you're, you're totally altering the vision for the economy. You're trying to really build something. With so many of these deals, even if it does, quote unquote, work in a place, like the factory really does come to Texas and they really do employ people who work there. Those jobs often came at the literal expense of the people wherever the factory was before. So when a you know, right, thing right. picks up and moves from California to Texas, there are now 25 unemployed Californians and 25 employed Texans. So even if it works in that way, you're just beggaring one place um, to, to, to help another. And so, you know, if we're talking like we are still all one nation, right, hopefully, Um and so I think there's just not very much noble in just yoinking stuff from people to say, hey, we have it now. Yoinking is a great word, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree with you. Yes. Well, that's beautiful. I really appreciate yeah. that, Pat. I, I... Um, any, I, I don't have any more questions. Um, I don't. Uh, anything you want to mention before we let you go? Stuff, stuff, uh, questions. Uh, you wish we'd asked. No, I don't think so. It's been great being here. Buy the book. It's called The Billionaire Boondoggle. <laughs> the Billionaire Boondoggle will link... T- yeah. Go ahead, Coops. Oh, yeah. B- uh, Billionaire Boondoggle. Yeah, we'll link it. Um, available available from your preferred uh, literature distribution facility. Uh, it's hopefully it's a- not Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's a great read. as lots of... Uh, entertaining but somewhat sad stories of these exact problems we're discussing and um it'd be a great resource for for those of us who want to fight against these problems 
Great. Well, Pat Garofalo, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks and, so much uh, for having me. We'll see you next time. That's it. Pleasure. Last but not least, we have a friendly reminder that we have a Patreon. You can support the show with $5 a month and get an extra episode every week. Uh, we really appreciate the support and it helps us keep this going.